The following podcast is produced or sponsored by a community member. The content, views, and opinions expressed are those of the participants and do not reflect those of BMC or the town of Belmont. BMC welcomes your comments. Call us at 617-484-2443 or email us at access at belmontmedia.org. Ready for October, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> there we go. I, I should. I had the wrong slider going there. Are you ready for October, ladies and gentlemen? <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the TOSD Toddcast here on the Belmont Media Podcast Network. I am Todd Bloniars, producer and co-host of the Time Out for Sports Talk television program that you can find on BMC channels 8, 9, 28, and 29 on demand and on demand at belmontmedia.org. Uh, these podcasts would like to just let you know you can access these online at belmontmedia.org slash podcasts and also at soundcloud.com by searching Belmont Media. And you can listen to any of these shows at your convenience on your favorite electronic device simply by downloading the SoundCloud app available free of charge on iTunes and Google Play stores. And uh, I am very uh, happy to uh, bring in here for this uh, special, as I said, are you ready for October? Red Sox, the playoffs, here we go. Uh, Red Sox for the first time, and I, I still can't believe this, first time in team history that they have won consecutive division AL East titles. I mean, this is uh, unheard of. Of course, then again, they've only had divisions in Major League Baseball since 1969, but still even over almost a 50-year period, the fact that the Red Sox have not won the AL East in back-to-back seasons just kind of astounds me a little bit. But uh, here to break that down and to preview the upcoming ALDS between the uh, playoff-bound Red Sox and the Houston Astros AL West champions is Christopher Smith, the Red Sox beat writer for MassLive.com. Very happy to have him back on the phone lines once again. Again, calling us uh, from the lovely city of Houston. And I guess our first question uh, to the uh, listeners out there, Chris, is uh, just a quick update uh, how the area around the ballpark is and everything after the effects of uh, the uh, the hurricane, that uh, Hurricane Harvey, that struck down there a few weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, everything looks, you know, fine down here this way. Um, you know, I haven't been around the, you know, the city a lot. Uh, just got in today. Um, but everything down near the ballpark looks just like it did, you know, when I was here in June. So uh, I guess this this area wasn't, uh, you know, affected as much as as other parks. So that's uh, you know, looks ready. They're 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 preparing, and they're it looks like everybody's excited about postseason baseball starting tomorrow. So. Yeah, I can imagine that the fans of Houston have got to be pretty excited, too. Uh, you know, this is a, a team that is, has definitely been on the come the last couple of seasons, a, a great young, dynamic team. I know normally Houston, you know, you're talking Houston in October, and it's all about football, but, uh, you know, what what do you think? Has there been a little bit of a buzz uh, de- since you've been down there about the Astros? Yeah, I mean, this is a good this is a good Houston team, and you look back at 2015, uh, and, you know, they had this. They had kind of a little bit of a crazy postseason run. You know, they won the wild card, and they really blew game four of the ALDS series that year. So, um, you know, they I get, I, you know, I can't even remember really the, the situation. I think they gave up like four runs in the eighth or something to, uh, to the Kansas City Royals. They had that game four in hand. So, yeah, I mean, this is a good team. 
they're well balanced. They they've led like every offensive category this year except home runs, and they were second in home runs. I mean, you go down the list, extra base hits, you know, on base percentage, you know, average slugging percentage, OPS, uh, doubles. Uh, you know, I mean, so total base hits. I mean, they're they're right at the top of everything. We saw it this past week at Fenway. These guys can hit, so uh, it should yeah. be, it should be a fun series. It should, and we will preview it in just a moment. But uh, before we we get down into the uh, the breakdown of, of the two teams uh, combating in the ALDS, uh, I first kind of want to since we haven't had John since the summer, uh, really since about midseason, Chris. I thought maybe we'd recap this Red Sox season, just like last year they win the American League East, just like last year they won ninety three games. But yet this year's team certainly feels different. A lot a lot of different faces that weren't here a year ago, and even the way they won those ninety three games was a bit different. What was your overall thoughts of what kind of felt like an up-and-down season and yet in the end ended up in the, the same place numbers-wise that it did a year ago? Yeah, it was kind of a crazy year overall. I mean, you look at, you know, you look at kind of the controversies that went on with the team, you know, from, from you know, day one pretty much when they were in Baltimore with, uh, you know, Dustin Bedroyer and everything and saying, this isn't me, this is, this is them, and, you know, and then you go with the David Ortiz, uh, the David Ortiz, the David Price controversies and everything. You know, him yelling at the media in New York, and him with the Dennis Eckersley controversy and all that. Him yelling at Dennis Eckersley on the plane. So, you know, it's been a, um, it's 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 been a eventful year, um, and it's been a different year from 2016 because, first of all, we've had that type of stuff, but second of all, this is a different team. They've won based on their pitching. I mean, you look at it, their bullpen, I kept saying all year their bullpen was, you know, mediocre at best. And what I meant by that was they were overachieving big time. And, um, you know, you look at their some of those guys that they have in the bullpen, they got them through the year, like Keith Henry, for instance, uh, Matt Barnes. Those guys did not perform, you know, Hello, Chris. Are you still there? I'm here. Oh, okay. Sorry. We lost you there for a moment, Chris. Sorry about that. Okay. So, yeah. So, um, I'm actually just at my room now, so I should be good with reception. <laughs> oh, great. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> a little walk and talk there. That's fine. I thought I could hear some of the sounds of, of downtown Houston uh, going on there uh, in the background. So, yeah. So, I mean, this whole... Uh, you know, so so the bullpen, you know, really won a lot of games from this year. And I had said many times this was a mediocre best bullpen. And um, you know, it's funny because you know they they achieved over mediocre. That's the thing. And um, but now that they have David Price and all these guys like Carson Smith, they're going to win games on pitching. They're not going to win games on hitting like last year with David Ortiz. And that's how they did it all year. Well, right, and you know, right, and exactly, and I think I understand what you're saying about the bullpen at the beginning of the year overachieving. I think we all saw, you know, even though Matt Barnes was pitching pretty well, even though at times Heath Embry was pitching pretty well, even Robbie Scott, I, I think we were thinking to ourselves that they weren't going to be able to sustain that over 162 games, and ultimately, you know, between the trade deadline, uh, acquiring Addison Reed, uh, having Carson Smith finally come off the disabled list and be able to offer something on the mound, and then also uh, the 
the all-important late-season move, perhaps, uh, which could be maybe a huge X-factor in this upcoming series and maybe the whole postseason, the move of David Price into the bullpen. This this bullpen has undergone a complete transformation outside of, of Craig Kimbrell, who had just a monstrous year closing out games in the ninth inning. Yeah, well, you know, um, John Farrell has talked about it and that, you know, you're – there's going to be a lot of unhappy people, uh, you know, that, that that provided a lot of good contributions for this team throughout the year that aren't going to make the playoff roster. I mean, playoff roster. I don't have Heath Embry or Blaine Boyer. These guys were important for this team throughout the entire year, and so um, you know because. As we saw, you know, I mean, the addition of Addison Reed and obviously David Price, who can bridge the gap from the starters, you know, I mean, this this bullpen is a completely different animal right now than the bullpen that really helped them through the whole entire year. And, you know, that, that bullpen does deserve a lot of credit. Yeah, well, what are your, you know, uh, what are your thoughts in general, Chris, about the Price move to the bullpen? I mean, it looks like so far through a couple of weeks that perhaps this was the right move. Do you, do you think it was personally? Because, I mean, obviously there's some questions still as to who the Red Sox might start in games three and four. I mean, would, would, was Price ever a viable option, or do you think the, the ultimate uh, decision by Farrell to, to put him in the bullpen and use him, try to use him as a weapon out there uh, was, was the better option here? Yeah, so I like, I've always liked Price in the bullpen. And, you know, and then, you know, when I saw him dominating in the bullpen, you know, throwing eight and two-thirds scoreless innings, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, well, and, and then you see Eduardo Rodriguez go out and get bombed and everything. And, you know, the, the um, you know, Doug Fister's struggling of late, and Rick Purcell has struggled the whole year. He's allowed the most hits and home runs in Major League Baseball. So you're thinking to yourself, well, should they have put David Price in the, back on the rotation? But this was really more of a health thing than anything. They want, they feel like he can sustain his. You know, he's still feeling something in that in that arm. And they, and you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he went for a procedure during, you know, this off season. What procedure that is, I don't know. I mean, it could be a stem cell shot, um, you know, like Drew Pomerantz had. I would be surprised if he got Tommy John surgery just because of how hard he's throwing right now. I mean, he's throwing, you know, 98. I mean, he had a fastball up to 97.9 miles per hour in one of those relief outings. So, I mean, the arm looks healthy. So this is a way of keeping him healthy. That's what they feel like. They don't feel like they could have kept him healthy if he was starting every five days uh, and throwing 100 pitches every five days because – you know, that didn't work for, you know, two times already this season. So I am in favor of this move. I, I, I like it. And and um, I like the fact that, you know, and, and John Farrell and Dave Dombrowski both make, make comparisons to Andrew Miller, and then they kind of walk them back a little bit. <laughs> yeah. um, but I like the fact that he has the ability to bridge the gap uh, between the starter and, um, you know, set-up man Addison Reed and closer Greg, Greg Kimbrell. You know, um, John Farrell has the ability to take out his starter after four or five innings and hand the ball over to David Price, and we've seen David Price be very effective. I mean, he's not allowing anything. I mean, he's doing a great job. Does that change the postseason? I don't know. But right now, I mean, he is the, 
he's so valuable in that bullpen. Well, I, I think you're right, Chris, especially after after we get past Game 2. Uh, we assume, at least the way Sale and Pomerantz have pitched all year, that they're probably going to go fairly deep into the game, maybe to a point where you can get to Reed in the eighth inning. I, I don't know about that. But certainly, you know, as we go further into the series, you've got starting pitchers there that don't necessarily have a history, or at least lately the way some of them have pitched, of not going as deep. So where, you know, then you can get Price for maybe two, possibly up to three innings where, where he can be effective. I also think another other thing working in Price's favor uh, as far as uh, how he's uh, performing as a reliever right now. For one, I, I think part of it is because he knows, you know, that elbow could maybe, maybe he's thinking that elbow could go at any time. And the fact is when he's in the bullpen and he's only throwing 40 or 50 pitches in an appearance that he can kind of let it all hang out. And that's why you're seeing him hit like 98 on the radar gun. And then the other factor, I think also is the fact that David Price's lone postseason success, as far as at least winning ball games, has come while he's pitched out of the bullpen. So, you know, all the good memories he has pitching in the postseason have been coming out of the pen. And, and I think that, you know, as we know, a lot of David Price's uh, makeup, not just his physical abilities and whether the elbow is going to hold up, but what's going to hold up between the ears. And I just think maybe putting him in the bullpen works in, in that regard for him as well. Yeah, and actually, to, to go off that point, I, I went back and looked at every one of his postseason appearances out of the bullpen, and, you know, he had that one outing with Toronto in 2015 where it wasn't so good. Um, but when he was out of the bullpen in 2008 against the Red Sox, when he was a rookie, yeah, and the LCS, he was dominant. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 the appearances that they resemble what he's doing right now. I mean, he was saving games. He was coming in in the middle of innings. He was being used as a left-handed specialist at times. He was, you know, striking out J.D. Drew when they needed a big strikeout of J.D. Drew. He was earning a, you know, a, a, a five-out save. So they used him in important situations uh, in, in that, um, you know, American League Division Series, American League Championship Series, and then in the in the um, in the World Series against the Phillies. And he had success that whole that whole series, and so he was thrown out of the bullpen for uh, like a three or four inning stint um, in I don't know game three or four against the, the Toronto Blue Jays in 2015. He didn't have as much success, but he knows what he, you know. His role is defined right now like it was defined back in 2018. I mean 2008, and. Um, you know, I think that goes a long way. He knows what he's doing right now. He knew what he was doing back then. And uh, I see this as a good thing. You know, I really do. Yeah, no, and perhaps one of the biggest questions going into this upcoming series, uh, Chris, it, it, involving Price would be, you know, as an X factor potentially in this series, how is Farrell going to be able to use Price? Will he be able to use him on back-to-back -back days? Or would the strategy be, like, say he has to use him in Game 1, uh, we're recording this the, the night before uh, Game 1 uh, tomorrow, say he has to use him in Game 1, maybe Price just throws a lot of pitches early uh, and they, they have to go to the pen early in that game uh, hopefully not with sale but uh, still uh, you know so say they have to do that is there a chance that Farrell would come back in game two or would he be more willing to want to give him the extra bit of rest as we went down the stretch here the regular season I think there was only one instance where he used price on back-to-back -back days yeah so he says he's not going to be hesitant to, to use him on back-to-back -back days depending on the amount of pitches he throws the day before. I mean, if it's 50 the day before, then he probably is not going to bring him back on a back-to-back -back day. But if it's just an inning, he'll bring him back uh, back-to-back -back days. 
Um, he did have him throw three or four days uh, down the stretch. That was very promising. Um, David's been very um, encouraging in this role in the fact that he, he wants to come out. I mean, he wants to do it every every day. I mean, he's telling Farrell he's all right. He's, he feels healthy to go. And so I think that what we'll see is, is that, you know, you really want Chris Sale to go long in game one. You want Drew Pomerantz to go six or seven in game two. Um, that 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 bridge, um, you know, from the starter to the to later in the games could really come in handy in game three and four. Even if Sale comes back on three days rest in game four, because you know you don't know what you're going to get on three days rest from Sale in game four. And this is a very there's a lot of potential this could happen, and I, I have a feeling it's going to happen because there's. Between games two and games five, there's four. Day, there's the normal four days rest. So Drew Pomerantz could pitch game two and then pitch game five on you know five days you know, on his fifth day. Right. So you know, so Chris Sale, this this might work out. So they just go to three pitches here, and they have Chris Sale pitch game one and game four. Now, if you're if you're going to use Chris Sale, uh, you know, in in, in game four. You're going to have to have David Price, you know, uh, able to go two or three innings in the middle of there to bridge the gap. Okay, right, sure. No, that's a good point. Maybe even more to that point, Chris, is that the possibility that Farrell might be thinking in the back of his mind if Sale in Game One is building up a high pitch count and it's say like you know, you know, it's the sixth inning already. After five innings, maybe he's already thrown close to like ninety pitches, do you think there's a chance already that Farrell would say, I'm going to go to Price here to bridge me to the to the end of the bullpen, and then this way, you know, there's a better chance Price will be able to bounce back in three days and make that game four start? Yeah, that's a good point, too. I mean, you know, in the postseason, you have to have a short leash. I mean, even when somebody's pitching well in a way, it, you know, if that pitch count comes high, you know, you're always going to have that short leash because you know that if one bad pitch could change the game. And so um, I see. I, I said this. I said this the other day to somebody too. I said, Farrell has the ability to look very smart this this postseason because he has very good relievers. Carson Smith is very effective. He's not throwing his normal velocity, but that's that you know slider is very you know nasty, and he's already put on the table that Craig Kimbrell will go, you know, one plus innings any day possible, okay? So he, he's going to use Craig Kimbrell. If he needs Craig Kimbrell for more than three outs, he will use Craig Kimbrell for more than three outs any day. So he has the ability to really do some interesting things. I mean, if he wanted to, you know, put Craig Kimbrell in, in the eighth and, you know, go to go to Addison Reed in the ninth if the high leverage situation was in the eighth, um, he's just got, and, and you know, he's he's done it with Addison Reed too. He's gone multiple innings with Addison Reed. So we're not just looking at David Price as a guy that could go multiple innings. We're, there's a lot of guys in this bullpen that can go multiple innings. I think that it, this is the thing: if the Red Sox can get an early lead, you're you've got to focus on what you can do to to hold on to it and get to that bullpen. So if if that means getting Chris Sale out of the game. You know, after five, after six, if he's got a high pitch count or whatever, and he can come back on a fourth day, you do it. Yeah, no, it, it, again, I, I tend to agree with, with everything you're saying. 
up to a, you know, and especially with the bullpen, although up to a point, you're saying that, you know, there's a lot of options there for Farrell. I, I still think in the end, for the most part, based on Farrell's history of managing this staff, I, I just can't see him, you know, last year we saw Terry Francona kind of go completely outside the box. A lot of it was out of necessity because he, you know, his starting rotation was in shreds and, you know, they, they had to use, you know, Andrew Miller for two, three innings at a crack. So that was out of more, more out of necessity here. There, I don't think Farrell necessarily would have to do these kinds of moves, these Francona like moves with his bullpen because he's got the depth in the bullpen with all these arms like you're talking about. So I tend to think, even though you're saying, yes, Kimbrel could pitch two innings, or he could use Kimbrel in the high leverage spot in the eighth and then bring Reed into the ninth, I, I can't see him doing that. Now, if the game goes extras, yeah, then then you start working the, the, the backwards bullpen, as I, I know many managers like to bring up. But I think it, in the confines of a nine-inning game where they have the lead that you're talking about, I still think it's, for the most part, going to be Reed in the eighth, Kimbrel in the ninth. I think that's just easy for Farrell to do. He doesn't have to think about it and you know Farrell tends to be at his best it feels like when there's a little less thought I mean you know I almost don't I almost hope in this situation that the fact he has so many relief options it doesn't just like sort of blow his mind up uh, and that he, he doesn't know like who to put in and what spot I mean certainly if things go wrong with whoever he puts in he's going to be open to a lot of second guessing which of course is the nature of any baseball fan yeah you know it's funny you know he, he's been criticized before for not warming up relievers behind other relievers and, you know, and not having the guy warmed up in time for when a reliever is about to blow a game, okay? So we saw that this weekend, um, but he didn't do it. I mean, he had his he had his reliever warmed up, and it was, it was David Price uh, behind Carson Smith, you know? So you go back to that seventh inning where the Red Sox were leading, I think it was 5-1, to one. You know, over the Astros, and Drew Pomeranz came in and uh, to to begin the seventh inning. He you know he, he allowed a single, okay, and then and then they brought in Carson Smith, and he allowed a little, you know, a little uh, infield single that was just off the you know enough of the bat or whatever. And so, you know, and then and then and then um, Carson Smith allowed two two more hits, one off the wall, and, he, and that's a situation where you're like, oh crap, you know. This is a typical Farrell situation where he's got no one warming up behind Carson Smith, and he had David Price ready to go. I'm going to say I'll have confidence in Farrell because he has the pieces. He has the bodies in right. the bullpen. I'm going to say I have confidence in him this off this this postseason. But you know what? He never even got a chance to screw anything up, or he didn't get a chance to to do anything well last postseason. Because the offense didn't produce enough to give them any leads, <laughs> so yeah. he, he wasn't making any decisions. So we'll see if he what decisions he has to make. It depends on whether they get to the early leads and, and the offense needs to get rolling. Right, and as of course, as we start to break down these two teams, you know the the big challenge for the Red Sox in the series may be how often are they going to be able to get out to a lead, uh, you know, against that vaunted Houston lineup. Before we do that, though, uh, I just kind of want to talk a little bit about the breakdown of the playoff roster. Now, I know as of us uh, recording this uh, podcast, you haven't. Uh, uh, there hasn't been a decision made like who the final 25 are going to be. Uh, by the way, again, for those of you just happen to be clicking in the middle of the Toddcast, this is uh, uh, Christopher Smith, the uh, 
Red Sox beat writer on MassLive.com, and you can follow his work uh, on Twitter as well. His Twitter handle is at Smitty on MLB. Um, again, Chris, uh, talking about the Red Sox 25-man roster for this upcoming series. Uh, what do you think the final split is going to be? I keep hearing it's probably going to you know, come down to like probably 14 position players, 11 pitchers. Do you think that's the way Farrell is leaning? It feels like in a... Uh, in a best-of-five series, you don't really need 12 pitchers, especially when you have someone like Price who can go multiple innings, and depending on, you know, uh, any other starters that could get involved, uh, they might be in, on this final uh, staff here for the for the first, for first this divisional series that, you know, you, you don't necessarily... I don't think you need 12 pitchers here, and, and certainly with the uh, offensive uh, questions health-wise of Dustin Pedroia, Eduardo Nunez, I mean, you may need to carry an extra position player there. So, so what are your thoughts here on, on the breakdown? If you you want to kind of I, I know they haven't the Farrell hasn't done it yet officially but what do you think it's going to look like tomorrow yeah so I think they'll definitely have 11 pitchers and they'll have the extra infielder so I can see Devin Marrero just because as you said you know the fact that they don't know the situation with Eduardo Nunez's knee they don't know the situation with Dustin Pedroia's knee I mean they know the situation and you know, it's a little bit dire because, you know, they, they they could get injured at any time. And so they could, you know, they could get injured in the middle of the game. So, and they don't have a backup shortstop really because, you know, I mean, I guess Brock Holt could play some shortstop, but, you know, Devin Marrero would probably be the, the best candidate to defensively to play shortstop. And um, so that's why they would want to add him to the roster because Eduardo Nunez isn't able to play shortstop he's only he's limited to third base and second base right now with with the way his range is going so i think you know you obviously have an off day between games two and three you have an off day between games four and five it even gets that far so you know you'll have your relievers rested um you can you can go to 11 relievers that's what they did last year and that's what they'll probably do again this year so we'll see the additional um We'll see the additional um, infielder. I, I want to say that they'll have Rajay Davis on the roster because if you look at the catchers on this on this uh, Houston team, none of them can throw. Uh, they have all have under 15% cost-stealing rates. So the Red Sox are known to be an aggressive team. They've gotten thrown out more than any team in Major League Baseball this year by 11 more than the Yankees, who are in second in that category. But they have done a good job. I think they're sixth in Major League Baseball in steals, and they need to be aggressive on the base pass in terms of stealing bases because it's, the catchers are not that good at throwing out runners. Um, <coughs> excuse me. John Farrell said that um, you know Verlander and Keiko are both good at holding on runners, but you know, they really need to to look at that speed aspect. That, that, you know, they can push some runs across because of that aggressiveness. So I see Rajay Davis also on the roster. And um, and in terms of, of bullpen guys, you know, I don't see Matt Barnes making the cut. I don't see, you know, Blaine Boyer. I don't see Heath Embry. You know, I see uh, – How about Brandon Workman? No, I don't see Workman. He didn't have a very good September, and he didn't have a very good last week too. And so it, it did know, feel it, like he was pitching pretty well for a while, though. He did. He was very good. And he has the playoff experience from 2013, which I don't know. Very how... true, and they might add him on to an ALCS roster. But I think that 
I, I think you'd be leaning against it right now because, too, um, depending on who starts that game three and if they have potential game four starters. So say if Doug Fister was to start game three, they would have Rick Porcello and Eduardo Rodriguez make the bullpen, uh, make the roster as bullpen guys. If they decide that Doug Fister is not going to start a game, um, then Doug Fister will not make the roster at all. They're not going to put him in the bullpen. So um, I have a feeling Doug Fister is going to throw game three. That's that's. I, I just had that feeling. He's got that experience. He has an ERA under two in his whatever eight or nine postseason starts. Um, he's I, their only starter who's won in the postseason. Exactly, and, and you know, and he's he's given them some. I, I, I just feel like you can rely on him more than you can rely on Persolo and Eduardo Rodriguez right now. All right, so if I look at the pitching staff here really quick uh, yeah. while we're talking there. So your your bullpen is, is Kimbrell, Reed, Price, Carson Smith, Joe Kelly, Robbie Scott, those six for certain. Sale, Pomeranz, likely Porcello, uh, maybe Fister. I mean, that gets us to 10. I mean, am I missing another reliever here, or could they theoretically bring all five starters on and go with those those six relievers I mentioned? So, so if um, Robbie Scott, would, you know what? So Robbie Scott wouldn't make it if um, Barnes has a chance. I guess. I guess Barnes has a chance. I don't think he's going to make it, but he has a chance. Um, Robbie Scott um, would not make it probably if they if if Eduardo Rodriguez doesn't start a game, he'll be your second lefty out of the bullpen. He'll be your secondary left-hander. Um, you think you think Rodriguez would be the second? Would be well again. You the thing with Robbie Scott is you figure he might be the guy that Farrell would go to if there's like one big left-handed bat that they want to get out. There's two outs in an inning. There's a tough left-handed hitter coming up. He brings in Scott for that matchup, and that's it. Like literally, I I'm sure you've heard this expression before, Chris. Robbie Scott would be the loogie, right? I mean, he's the guy yeah. coming in just to pitch to one batter. Oh, definitely. But but Farrell's already been asked about him and. You know, he said, you know, I don't know, like, he's got to decide whether that's valuable to have a guy that can just face one left-hander on the, on the roster. You know, just come in and face a left-hander. You know, he, you know, if you, if you were to go to Eduardo Rodriguez and not put him in the playoff rotation and put him in the bullpen, you know, Rodriguez can come, out, can, can come in and throw a full inning and face both lefties and righties. But would he be comfortable pitching out of the bullpen? That's not something he's normally done. Uh, I he guess did that it one inning, you know, and, and he did it one inning um, earlier this year in Toronto, and I know that was just an inning to get, you know, get his after his uh, wife had a baby. You know, they wanted him to get an inning of work, and it was a scoreless, you know, perfect inning, I think, or whatever. But you know, I mean, some people have done this, and. It hasn't really affected them much. I mean, like, you know, you go back to Felix Dubrant. I mean, he had pitched out of the bullpen, really, and he was extremely effective in 2013. I, I just feel like, I don't know, I just feel like he could do it. I really do. I, I feel like if you're a good starting pitcher, you should be able to come out of the bullpen and, and be effective. And I agree with you there on that point, Chris, and I would say this. If 
what you're saying is true. I would I would rather have Erod in the bullpen only because he is flexible enough that he could pitch an inning. Maybe he pitches to a tough lefty batter. Maybe he could go multiple innings if you need him to, depending on the situation. And the other thing is, because he's there, if you haven't used him to a certain point in the series, theoretically, you could start him. I mean, you have that flexibility. Yeah. He can sort of be on call to do whatever you need him for. So, you know, if Farrell is so not certain yet who's going to start game three and he wants to bring, you know, he wants to carry both Rodriguez and, say, Fister and Porcello, carry, bring basically all five of his regular season starters onto the playoff roster and then, you know, mix and match and maybe, you know, the guys who don't start are just going to be ready to go multiple innings if they need them. Yeah. Yeah, no, and, and you know, I could be wrong about, about Scott because I've seen some of my fellow writers project that he'll be on the roster. Well, but, see, I would think so only because even if they bring all five starters on, you could you still have a six-man bullpen. Uh, I mean, with obviously some of those starters being in the bullpen, but you know, with 11, 11 pitchers, you bring the five starters, you bring the key guys in the bullpen. Robbie Scott still makes it as kind of the sixth guy there. You know, after your t- your, your top five, if you count Kimbrel, Reed, Price, Smith, and Kelly as your top five bullpen guys, there's still room for another guy in in Robbie Scott, and I don't know who would go over him unless it be Workman. But like you said, you didn't think Workman pitched all that well down the stretch. I don't think he pitched all that well down the stretch. And, I, you know, I don't think that, you know, Barnes. And, and well, what about Barnes, I guess, would be the way. question. Yeah, Barnes is a big, uh, Farrell's a big fan of Barnes. Oh, I know that. <laughs> that's, why I, that's why I asked him. He's him a long leash this year. Yeah. But Barnes, the funny thing about Barnes is that whenever he got in trouble, mostly throughout the year, it was because of walks. And... You know, but during September, he only walked one batter the entire September, but he had a 300 batting average against. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> he's getting hit in September. Right. Well, he is, let me let me throw out another name. I don't even I, I can't believe I'm bringing this up as an option. Austin Maddox. He pitched well down the stretch. I mean, is he even yeah. is, is he merely an afterthought? I mean, is a, I don't even know if that's a name we, it's even worth throwing into the discussion here. Well, no, that's that's definitely a need to worth throwing in the discussion. I mean, you know, he Farrell had mentioned him as somebody that could make it. That he, you know, they were looking at him as as somebody, you know, somebody that had pitched well and that was opening some eyes in September. The thing I like about Austin Maddox, and I just pointed to this about Matt uh, Burns, when you get in trouble, it's because of walks. You can't walk people. You know, in these in these in these playoff games, you can't come in and walk somebody, and that's what scares me with Barnes. Ma- um, Austin Maddox had very good control. I think he had some like seven seventeen a third innings. He only allowed one run, and he, he only allowed like two walks. You're correct. You're exactly correct. I, I've got my stats in front of me here, Chris. Uh, two walks, fourteen strikeouts, and seventeen and a third. I got that right off the top of my head. <laughs> That's why you cover the Red Sox, Chris. That's why. Yeah. That's way too much. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well then, well, just getting back to this, who do you think is going to be your, if it was you, who would be your 11th pitcher? Because it sounds like you've got the five starters and the five top relievers, so who's your 11th pitcher that you bring with you? You know what? I guess I'd go with Austin Maddox now that you say that, because I like okay. the fact that he pitched well in September, and I like that, he doesn't walk anybody, and you know, and he showed that he can face both left-handers and right-handers. And you know what? I go with him. Well, that's going to be big, especially under your, uh, you know, your uh, 
roster here for the bullpen. Uh, with no Scott there, I mean, David Price would be your lone lefty, although I guess Erod would be your second lefty. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, so in that case, that maybe. It depends. Like, if, right. they want, if they start Erod, then, you know, and then I would give the spot to Scott, you know? So I, I think they do need that second lefty. I mean, if Erod was to start, you know, if they were to name him the game three starter, or the, if they were to go to four starters and name him the game four starter, yeah, I'd, I'd say Scott should be in the bullpen. But I just don't feel like you should carry three three lefties if you're going to have Eduardo Rodriguez as a reliever. Although, keep in mind, I mean, statistically, I guess this year, Houston struggled. If they did struggle at all offensively, it was against left-handed, I guess, mostly starters. I don't know. Did they struggle as much against lefty yeah. relievers? So uh, that's, that's kind of like, that's a little complex there because that, that did get thrown out a little bit there um, by the Boston media. <laughs> Uh-oh. Games and so... No, the Boston media never throws out, like, you know, uh, <laughs> false information or anything, do they? Yeah, so they were two games under <laughs> 500 um, against left-handed starters. Mm. So you would think that they didn't hit well against left-handers, but they had an OPS of over 800 against left-handers this year. So while they didn't have a winning record against left-handed starters, they did hit them well, um, and they were right up in – you know, in the top five in the league and, you know, most stats against left-handed pitchers. So um, that's a little deceiving, that record. And it was asked to Farrell if he would conceivably throw, you know, three starters against um, Houston because of that, that fact. And But that wasn't also brought up that they also hit, they have over, you know, an 800 OPS against left-handers. Right. Uh- Game three, who do you think ultimately they're going to they're going to want to start here? I keep thinking it's Porcello, but then the longer I look at his stat line and realized, of course, uh, he uh, tied Tim Wakefield's uh, Red Sox franchise record, allowing 38 home runs this year, and he'd be starting game three at Fenway, where oh by the way, Houston can hit a lot of home runs. Uh, yeah. So I mean, who who do you think is going to wind up starting game three? I think it's going to be Fister. He pitched well Friday night, and and as I said. You know, like I talked about that bridge between the starter and the and the setup man. Um, if you can get, you know, like what they did with Bauer last year in Cleveland, you know, I mean, or other certain guys, you know, even that Merritt guy that came in and pitched against uh, Toronto so well in the ALCS. If you can get four innings, five innings out of Fister in a in a game uh, in a game three. And he's got them, as I said before, and as you said, he's got the most playoff experience. He's got the ERA under two in, in postseason starts in his career. If you were to have him go out there and, and keep that and keep the game tied, or, or even you know have a one-run lead after four or five innings, and you hand over the bullpen, that's a quality start for Doug Fister. So, and I just feel like he has the ability to do that more than say. Um, you know, Rick Porcello at this point, because maybe more than Eduardo Rodriguez at this point, because, you know, Rick Porcello is just, I I just watched it all year. Just home runs, hits. I mean, he just got lit up the whole entire year. So I I just, I just don't have trust in him. And his his postseason stats, well, they're not, I mean, you can't really make anything. You can't really make too much of, you know, small sample size as he has in the postseason, I think about four or five starts, he hasn't pitched well. So, 
I'd definitely go with Pfister, and I think they're probably going to lead in that direction. Okay. Well, you know, in an odd stat I was reading about uh, Rick Porcello, this is off the Red Sox Notes Twitter feed. Uh, this was around mid-September. At that point in the year, Porcello had been 10-0 and with an ERA of 3.6 when the Red Sox had actually scored three or more runs while he was pitching in the game, while he was in the game. And uh, the Red Sox overall were 13-0 and in those games. So when they score some runs for Porcello, he's unbeatable, apparently. But uh, yeah. the big problem was they, they hadn't. Uh, really, really quick on my Porcello point, though, I know you want to probably comment on that, but my other question would be, if they don't start Porcello in Game 3, you brought up Erod as possibly an option out of the bullpen. I don't see Porcello that way. Is it possible that John Farrell would even consider, if he's not going to start uh, Porcello in Game 3, that he's off this uh, LDS roster altogether? No, because he said the other day that, like, if certain guys don't make the rotation, the, the, if he doesn't start Porcello, or if he doesn't start Eduardo Rodriguez, he would presume that they'd make the bullpen. He said if he doesn't start Fister, he won't make the bullpen. He, he kind of distinguished that fact, that they would make the roster if, if they didn't make the starting rotation, Persillo and Eduardo Rodriguez. So I see Persillo making no matter what. Is that a smart decision? I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. You could maybe have somebody that's you know, more accustomed to to relieving and but you know so that that's interesting but yeah with with going off on that Priscilla point he did have a good middle half uh you know I I don't know exactly what month June July he had some good stats going through there and he was getting around support so he, he was pitching effectively for a while there the problem is he stopped pitching effectively in you know in August and September. He went back to where he was at the beginning of the year. So I don't care how many runs they score for him, uh, he's not pitching well. And in it, in this stage of the season, they're not going to score many runs as, as it is because you know they're going up against Verlander and Keiko right. today. So you know I, I just wouldn't trust them. Yeah, no, and, and for that reason, I wouldn't either. I mean, you're going to, you know, the Red Sox have had trouble at times scoring runs all year long. There's no reason to think suddenly in the postseason that their bats are going to explode offensively. Uh, wrapping up on the pitching really quick, then I want to just go back to the uh, to the bench players uh, and the uh, the batters. But, uh, you know, here we are. We're talking about the bullpen. We're talking about the third starter, potentially the fourth starter. Do you have any concerns about the game one and two starters? Chris Sale, Drew Pomeranz, they both won 17 games this year, did it in different ways, but both. Uh, you know, Sale excelled as we kind of ex- would have expected. Uh, Pomerantz kind of came out of the blue after about mid-May and looked like, uh, you know, the guy that I'm sure Dave Dombrowski must have been dreaming about when he made the trade initially last year uh, for for the Southpaw. So, but going into this, in games one and two, do you have any concern of either of these guys? They, they, they've never had postseason, well, really neither one's ever you know, done much in the postseason sale, not at all. And, uh, you know, sale struggled over the last six weeks of the year. Pomeranz came off a bad start there in the uh, the final week. So what do, you, what do you think about these two guys heading into this series? Yeah, it should be very interesting. First of all, I think that, you know, when, when sale got in trouble, I think, you know, I looked at it and he was throwing very fast. Some of these, like his last start, he threw 99 miles per hour. When you reach 99 miles per hour, I don't remember too many times where he reached that that fast with his fastball, with that much velocity on his fastball this year. I mean, I've seen him throw 97, 98 pretty good, but, you know, 99, to reach that, 
So he's just throwing hard. So it's not like he's fatigued. Um, I, I tend to think it's mislocation of, of secondary stuff. So when he gave up the four home runs the other night against uh, whoever it was, Toronto, um, it was it was I think it was three sliders um, and a changeup, or maybe it was two sliders, a changeup, and one two-seamer that didn't really, wasn't a very fast two-seamer. So I, I think it's mislocation of secondary stuff. And um, I think that was really what, what what was the problem when he got in trouble. Now, we've seen him, and I've gone back and forth with this in my head uh, about whether he's got the time. You know, I talked to Corey Kluver. Um, when I was in Cleveland in August, and I said to him, I was like, you know, how, how do you control yourself? How, how, you know, you, you had such a successful postseason last year. It was your first time ever. How did you control yourself? How did you control your emotions? He said they both have the same agent, so he knows Chris Dale, you know, pretty well. And, you know, he talked about how he, um, you know, is is very calm on the mound, or he has a different type of personality. Chris Sale is a little high strung. You know, he pitches with a lot of emotion and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, these sim- these guys with less simple deliveries that that are a little high strung and pitch with less emotion, they tend to not pitch as well in the postseason. Um, so I'm a little concerned with how Chris Sale will come out and pitch. You know, just beyond the fact that he didn't pitch as well in the final two months and because I saw the power there. I saw I saw his fastball was there. Yeah, he, he got in trouble with some mislocation sometimes, but I'm I'm probably more concerned whether how he'll he'll deal with you know, just the excitement of actually getting to go out there because he's been in major league baseball now for seven years. He's never gotten this opportunity. He might be too excited, too amped up and that's not a good thing. As for Pomerantz, uh, I I loved what I saw on Saturday in terms of uh, you know his ability to pitch in a big game because that was a big game. You didn't want it to get to Sunday and have to have Sale go and then you know with the potential of having to go play a an AL East showdown against the Yankees at Yankee Stadium on Monday. So that was a big game that that Drew Pomerantz pitched on Saturday. He was very poised. He pitched well. The difference was he was he was 91, 92. Oftentimes when he was really good this year, he was 93, 94, 95. What we saw in the last month is his velocity went down to 87, 88, 89. So I think that if he can keep it 91, 92, uh, 90, 91, 92, he'll have success, especially if that curveball's working good, which is such an important pitch for him. Uh, as I've said so many times, three miles per hour can be the, a world of difference on whether he has a poor start and whether he has a good start on, on Friday. And so that 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 will be the key for Pomerantz. We're talking to Christopher Smith. Uh, he covers the Red Sox for MassLive.com. Been doing a great job uh, for the last several years, and uh, we're glad to bring him on the TOST Toddcast once again here as we uh, preview the upcoming ALDS between the Red Sox and the Houston Astros. Chris, I uh, want to get to the to the rest of the, the, the hitting bench uh, side of the roster, so to speak, here. Uh, 14 players, so 11 pitchers, 14 uh, hitters, meaning uh, we're going to have five guys coming off the bench, obviously a second catcher, uh, so Leon Vasquez. 
Vasquez both make it. And then the other four guys, if you're assuming Hanley's your DH and Moreland's at first, uh, you know, you're, you know, you've got uh, Nunez, Holt, Rajai Davis that you brought up earlier, and of course, uh, Devin Marrero. You brought up earlier, of course, Chris, that Marrero uh, will fit the role of backup shortstop. I also would argue late inning defensive replacement at third, as he did in that game on Saturday, making that great catch. You know, I was actually at that game Saturday when the when the Red Sox clinched the American League East, and, uh, you know, I, I saw Devers over there, and then all of a sudden in the eighth inning, there was that line shot, and I see someone jumping up in the air, and I'm going, wait a minute, that's not Devers, that's Marrero. And I'm thinking, wow, you know, that's somebody that I'm sure that, you know, Farrell might be thinking that, you know, maybe he doesn't trust Devers, even though he loves his uh, the potential of his bat. He doesn't trust him defensively in the late innings. So having Marrero to put out there kind of the, the Doug Mankiewicz of the, the third base side, if you will. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, is that the way you think the, the bench is going to line up? Now, the other question, I guess, uh, kind of piggybacking off that, I, I was reading uh, one of your write-ups earlier today about uh, Nunez's status, uh, his health, and uh, maybe talk about that, talk about Pedroia's health. I mean, realistically, who do you think is going to get the majority of the action at second base? I mean, I know if if all things being equal, it would be Pedroia, but how is his knee holding up right now? Yeah, I think his knee will hold up fine for this postseason, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if they switched off a little bit of DH, which could, you know, Hanley could have to maybe sit again sometimes here. And... um so, so they're going up against, uh, you know, Keiko, a, a left-hander, um, you know, on uh, on Friday. They could have Hanley play first base. You know, you could see Nunez or Pedroia DH. However, they could also have, um, they've also brought up the fact that Nunez could play third base on, on Friday against Keiko. So they want to get Nunez's bat in the lineup. I would think every single game. I mean, he's that good. He, I mean, he provided. He was so important to this lineup. And the encouraging thing was when he came back for that two at bats that he had uh, after the long layoff and the PCL injury, uh, he got a hit right immediately in his first at bat. So he had that long layoff, and he, he obviously wasn't rusty. So I can see him coming in in this postseason having an effect offensively. I would definitely have him in the lineup every day, even if that means sitting Hanley in DH. So, yeah, I mean, it depends on who's healthy, whose needs healthier. I've always said, you know, Dustin Pedroia is just so important with, you know, run prevention over there at second base. We saw it this year when he didn't play when he was out for a while, and Nunez was over there at second base. There was balls that, you know, to the left of Nunez that that Pedroia would have, would have snagged easily that, that, that went past Nunez. So this team is a much better team with, with Pedroia at second base. So I'm assuming they're going to try to get Pedroia in there every day defensively. And he said he's feeling good right now. Um, you know, we'll see. I mean, he, he's running extremely slow. He has been for the last month. So I think everybody knows the severity of the injuries. It's no secret. And he's going to need probably some procedure this off season again, like he had last last year. Um, but yeah, Nunez is so important, and you know, as I said, I could see Hamley sitting if it was a right-handed starter, and they wanted to put both Pedroia and Nunez in the lineup. 
Uh, well, yeah, and I, I'm with you about Pedroia. Uh, although, if his mo- you know if the injury is going to hurt his mobility defensively, then that that's an issue. But if he is able to you know handle the position, I think he's your best defensive second baseman, bar none. Here, Chris is where I did a little bit of extra research for our Toddcast tonight. I pulled up stats against the playoff pitchers. How do you like that? So you want to talk oh, about some situations? No yeah, I well let me throw these out at you. You're playing to your Hanley argument first of all. Hanley in his career lifetime is uh, three for thirteen. Uh, with one strikeout against uh, Verlander, all three of those hits singles. He is uh, two for two with uh, a uh, single and a double in uh, you know just the two at bats against Dallas Keuchel. Uh, so I mean, it looks like for sure Hanley will be starting in Game Two. Uh, whether they will start him in, in Game One against Verlander remains to be seen. As far as the Red Sox best hitters all time uh, against Verlander, um, here, now here's a stat. The last time I remember Verlander pitching in the postseason was, of course, 2013, the ALCS, when Mike Napoli took him deep in Game 3 for a pivotal home run. It was pivotal to that game because it was a one nothing win for the Red Sox, but it was also pivotal for that whole series because the Sox could have easily been down 0-3 at that point. Instead, they were up 2-1. to They went on and, you know, beat the Tigers and then the Cardinals to, to win their, their third championship of the millennium. But uh, So here, here are the all-time numbers against Verlander. Interesting to note, uh, none of the current Red Sox players have ever homered off Verlander in their career. Uh, Moreland has had the most at-bats. He's 10 for 29 with six doubles. Uh, six RBI, three walks, ten strikeouts, hitting 3.45. Eduardo Nunez, maybe this is the reason he DHs in Game One against Verlander. Five for 15 with two doubles. So uh, compared to the three for 13 from Hanley, maybe that's where, as long as Nunez can answer the call, maybe he's DHing in Game One against Verlander. It'll be interesting to see if Hanley's not, you know, happy. <laughs> you know, I mean, Hanley's a pretty easygoing guy, but you know, I mean. He wants to play in the postseason, I'm sure. And so, you know, he probably wants to play in the postseason every day, I'm sure. So it will be interesting because the Red Sox do have a lot of guys right now that they, you know, I mean, with this with Nunez involved here, and you don't want to take Devers out of line, I feel, because, as I said, you know, he, he's the type of guy that they don't have much power in this, this lineup. And he's the type of guy, I mean, he hit 10 home runs, he, you know, in a short time in Boston, he had 30 home runs overall this year, including the minors. And he's the type of person that can pop one out at any point and change a game like that Mike Napoli game against Verlander, whereas you don't have too many guys in the lineup that, that can do that, really. Yeah, well, right. I mean, now Devers has never faced either of the the game one or two. He hasn't faced either Verlander or Keuchel, so that's uh, yeah. you know, that's uh, uh, an interesting uh, point there. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, as far as like out said, against Chapman, you can pull one out against anybody. Oh, of course, know? of course, he can. No question. Uh, certainly, the last few weeks of the year it looked like he was maybe uh, pitchers were starting to catch up to him a little bit. Part of it is just the over aggressiveness in Devers' play. He swings a lot at the first pitch anyway, so I think some of these pitchers know. Well, we're just not going to throw him a good pitch on the first one, and you know, but it'll be something good enough that he'll want to swing at it, and we'll, you know, we'll get him to, you know, to to hit the. Uh, of course, you hit the other way in Houston. They got a short left field porch out there at Minute Maid Park, so uh, I don't know if the uh, Astros pitchers want to pitch Devers away, uh, you know, much as they probably don't want to pitch him away at Fenway either. Yeah. No, it should be interesting because you know he he. <laughs> he had such a fun time in Cincinnati with that that short wall uh, in right field, and um, 
you know, I can definitely see him, you know, having an impact on this series. Hopefully the impact, of course, isn't by making an error. <laughs> but, uh, right. And then I, I totally agree with you, and I've heard that before, that you could see Devin Murrow as a late-inning defensive replacement for him. The, the fact is, is if you get into a game and they tie it up, and you know, then you've got one less bat in there. But, um, you know, I mean, that defense is so important in the playoffs, and, yeah, I could definitely see, uh, you know, Marrero uh, subbing in for him. You could also see, you know, potentially Nunez going over there. Um, he has moved around pretty well when I've seen him, you know, in his workout. So, um, you know, I mean, maybe if he's DHing, he goes over to third base late in the game. Uh, to keep the little bit of offense too in the lineup. We'll yeah, see. yeah. I mean, based on these numbers I'm looking at for Verlander, I mean, the two guys, the two Red Sox hitters who've hit him best, Moreland and Nunez. So I think in Game One you're going to see Moreland start at first. Uh, you know, hitting at 345, 10 for 29 career against Verlander. Nunez is five for 15, uh, 333. I think Nunez is probably going to be your Game One DH in all likelihood. Game Two is where things are going to get interesting because uh, you're going up against the lefty Keuchel. Moreland is only one for 13. That lone hit is a double um so maybe there's a chance there you've got Hanley not DHing but playing first base which would open the door then to them you know going back to Nunez's DH or but then again do they you know Devers do they want him uh, starting against the lefty like you're saying they probably want the bat in there so some interesting decisions for uh uh, you know, for Farrell, I guess ultimately when you look at both of these, uh, when you look at all these Red Sox hitters against either of these pitchers, the numbers aren't that great. I mean, granted, it's a small sample size. Uh, and then meanwhile, just to flip it a little bit, I looked at some of the Astros' career numbers against Sale and Pomeranz, and it appears to me the big key for the Red Sox in both games one and two will be to keep the leadoff man, in this case being Jose Altuve, uh, from doing damage. Because here are Altuve's career numbers against Chris Sale, 8 for 21 with a double, a homer, and three RBIs, 381 average, and uh, slugging uh, 571. And against uh, Pomeranz, Altuve is 7 for 17 with a double, uh, slugging at uh, and one RBI, and he's slugging at 471. Uh, if you look at the rest of the Houston lineup, none of them really have great career numbers against either Sale or Pomeranz. So maybe if, if the Sox can, you know, if, if those guys can keep uh, Altuve off the bases, they, uh, you know, that might uh, help their chances a bit in the uh, in the series. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, it's so important that. They, they get to, you know at least one. They need at least one game in Houston. You bring it back to Boston with at least one, and you have a chance to win this series. Um, and I have confidence that they can do that. I feel like they can win this series, and um, I, I believe that they can win one, maybe two here in Houston. I'm I'm one that believes in this team. Well, you know there there's a you know there are some you know. There are some interesting stats. One stat I saw earlier today was a little interesting. Bullpen ERA, Red Sox really own that over Houston. The, the Red Sox bullpen ERA is like a, over a whole run lower than uh, Houston. Houston's uh, bullpen ERA is like up over four. Their starters ERA is very respectable. It's pretty even with the Red Sox, but the bullpen ERA. And there are some questions. It feels like if the Red Sox keep these games close into the late innings, that maybe... Um, you know, Houston's bullpen, it could be a vulnerability uh, for them. What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. Um, you know, the Red Sox have done their damage. I mean, they look at the gut. Um, I, I have no idea what the, the number is off the top of my head right now, and I should know it, how many comeback, 
come from behind wins, but it's a ton, 40-something. Well, certainly the 15-3 and three in extra innings, and uh, yeah, I mean, actually, I, I think I had something from my Red Sox notes here that talked a little bit about yeah. all the, uh, the, team that, um, the comeback wins. That's a team that has done well against opposing teams' bullpens and has, has played good late. They've been resilient. Even when you look at against Yankees, uh, the Yankees who have a good bullpen, I mean, they terrorized their bullpen a little bit. I mean, you know, look at how they, they did against not just Chapman, but, but against Keenley and stuff. And, and they had some pretty good rallies. You know, they, they've overcome some deficits late in games, and it's, it's, you know, been an important thing. So, yes, the Red Sox do have the advantage over Houston in terms of bullpen. Um, but, you know, Houston's going to have a different look, too, in their bullpen because, as A.J. Hinch said today, all their starters besides Keuchel and um, besides Keuchel and Verlander are going to be in the bullpen for games one and two. So, you know, so they're going to be throwing out Lance McCullers whenever they want or, or Brad Peacock, who shut the Red Sox down on Thursday night or Friday night, whenever it was. So, um, you know, bullpens do look a little bit different in, in October when you get some of those starters in there. But, yeah, I mean, this team has been pretty resilient with the come-from-behind come wins, and um, I wouldn't put that, I wouldn't put it past them to, you know, to, to win this series. Right. Well, I mean, the 15-3 and three in extra innings, I'm reading here on uh, the Sox Notes uh, Twitter feed, uh, in about in mid-September, the Red Sox were leading the majors with 16 wins when they were tied or trailing after eight. Uh, again, another pretty impressive stat. Uh, yeah, I mean, so you look at that. I mean, if the Sox keep it close, certainly a chance. On the other hand, now I kind of want to flip this a little bit. Let's do a quick capsule on the Astros here, uh, you know, because this is the team no one's really talking about, although Sports Illustrated, I want to give them a huge bit of credit here because back in 2014, I, I believe it was George Springer on the cover, and they, uh, they were declaring the Astros as the 2017 World Series champs, and, well, here they are. They won 101 games this year, which actually was only the second-best record in the American League, as it, it turned out, but that's, that's only because the Indians went off and uh, reeled off 22 wins in a row. I think that uh, otherwise Houston probably is the best team. I mean, you look at offensively, uh, you know, all the numbers they have. I mean, the fact that they, you know, they they led, made the, led the majors this year hitting 282 as a team. They led in slugging percentage, OPS, uh, you know, a lot of offensive categories. Uh, they were number one in uh, – or uh, let's see, they were second in the major leagues only to the Yankees with 238 home runs. Uh, they actually led the uh, uh, the majors in doubles. Everyone thinks, well, if the Red Sox didn't hit homers, they were a doubles hitting team. Well, the Sox were only seventh at 302, and Houston actually hit 346 doubles, which was the most in uh, in the majors. I guess Minute Maid Park looks like kind of a doubles park uh, to a degree when when it's not uh, hitting home runs. I mean, they had you know uh, 2,600 total bases, which is about 400 more than the Red Sox had this year. The offensive numbers are staggering, and yet there are guys on this team that I think could sort of be unsung heroes for them. I think. While everyone's going to probably be looking at Altuve and Carlos Correa and George Springer, and obviously those are dangerous guys, even Alex Bregman, uh, it might end up being someone like a Josh Reddick or a Marwin Gonzalez. I mean, these guys had great numbers, and of course, Reddick's got the former Red Sox. Why can't we get guys like that thing going for him? Which always helps, uh, you know, when you're going up against your your former team. Uh, it seems that uh, these guys. <laughs>
guys always seem to come back and haunt the Red Sox one way or the other. And I know Reddick is on a much smaller stage has kind of done that a little bit back in his days with Oakland. So, uh, I mean, but what are your what are your thoughts like? I mean, who you know? Do, do you kind of agree with me that maybe uh, you know maybe it's some of the unsung heroes on this team? Is there someone else on this Houston team we're not talking about? Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Marwin Marwin Gonzalez too is another one the Red Sox kind of had. They they picked him up in the Rule Five draft in like 2011, and uh, then they traded him away from there. So uh, they had him, and the Red Sox actually um, they uh, I did a story on this the other day. They um, they um, which you can find on MassLive.com, by the way. Go ahead, Chris. <laughs> Drafted Alex Bregman in 2012, and um, the Red Sox scouted him pretty well. He's Blake Swihart's best friend, and they were playing together in New Mexico, and the Red Sox drafted Swihart in the first round in 2011. The one-year difference between them, and they drafted Bregman in the 29th round in 2012. But, you know, sometimes with these guys, first-round talent, it, you know, if they have a strong college commitment, they don't think they'll be able to sign them or something. They they sometimes slip down. Well, he slipped. He had actually told the Red Sox in 2012 that they picked him in that spot. They drafted Devin Marrero. This is before the draft. Before they picked Devin Marrero, uh, they picked him in that 24th or 26th spot. I forget which one it was. He was 24, 27, 26. That he would have signed with the Red Sox. So there's actually a lot of history with two, you know, with Gonzalez, uh, you know, Marwin, um, and then you've got, you know, Josh Reddick that he was great when he was with the Red Sox. He, um, he's got such a personality, and um, and you know, and then you've got uh, Bregman, and so it, it, you know, there's a. By lot the way, of really quick, Chris, I just want to run Marwin Gonzalez's numbers down because I'm impressed with these. Again, no one really talks about him as part of their their lineup, but he hit 303 in 134 games, uh, 34 doubles, 23 homers, 90 runs batted in. Um, you know, his, his OPS was 9.07. I mean, he scored 67 runs. I mean, he was a, pretty much their everyday uh, left fielder. And, uh, you know, those numbers would have probably put him, uh, I think, tops uh, on the uh, the Red Sox outfielders, I believe. I'm, well, except for maybe, well, other than Mookie. Uh, but, uh, you know, he, I mean, those are good numbers. I mean. Yeah, it's funny. Like, we were looking at it the other day. You know, their, their number nine hitter, Brian McKinn, and, like, Thursday's lineup had – you know, an OPS of, you know, only one person on the Red Sox had an OPS better than that. So, you know, they're number nine hitters. So it's like, you know, it's gonna, you know, it's going to come down to pitching, and, you know, the Red Sox have to have a good game plan. We've seen them have a good game plan um, before. You know, they, they, eliminate, they limited uh, Aaron Judge to nothing this year. Um, so, they you know, they've gone in with good scouting reports, and they, they figure out how to – how to you know pitch to good hitters? They can't make mistakes. They need to pitch well to this team, and that's really going to be the, the you know what what makes this what makes them win or lose a series. Yeah, and uh, while uh, 2017 is probably called a lot of things around Major League Baseball, maybe the the year of the home run. Obviously, it was a record uh, in MLB for for most home runs hit in a season. Uh, was also considered the year of the strikeout. And here's a fun little gem of a stat I pulled out uh, from the uh, from the stat uh, pages of MLB. Uh, the Houston hitters 
have the fewest strikeouts of any team in Major League Baseball, which I guess makes sense if you're going to hit 282 as a team. Uh, 1,087, that's a little under seven a game. Uh, the Red Sox uh, were uh, seventh from the from the bottom as far as fewest number of strikeouts by their hitters. But that's yet another challenge that the Red Sox pitchers are going to have to face. I mean, you know, when they were going up against the likes of Tampa Bay, who I believe finished second in uh, MLB in most strikeouts from their hitters, uh, you know, you could have an approach against them. But uh, the approach that Sale, Pomerantz, and the rest of the staff are going to have to take against these Houston hitters, I mean, these guys don't strike out. They obviously, they put the ball in play and a lot of times put the ball out of play as an over the fence. So, uh, you know, the Red Sox pitching staff, no question, is going to have their hands full in this series. Definitely. Uh, okay, so as we wrap up here, Chris, your your final thoughts here. What what do you think is going to end up happening? Uh, what do you uh, well? What do you see as the, the the number one key for the Red Sox to, to have a chance in this series? And what do you think is going to be the final result? I think they're going to win this series. Um, <laughs> you know, if you'd ask me, uh, I don't know. I just I just feel like they're going to win this series for some reason. Um, okay, how many games? <laughs> so five. I okay, all right. Five, and, um, you know, I think it's going to come down to winning one game here and then bringing it back to Boston. And, you know, I, I wrote this in September, early September, after the Red Sox left, uh, left um, you know, left New York, and they, you know, uh, continuously this year got shut down by CC Sabathia, Tanaka and Severino. I said, if you're gonna you're gonna face good pitching in the playoffs, this lineup can get shut down and swept out of a pay, uh, playoff uh, series, you know, easily because they just don't have the offense. But I just keep going back to the fact that if they can get early leads, this team is pretty resilient. And I've saw this team down the stretch where the Yankees are playing extremely good baseball. Uh, since September 3rd, when the Red Sox left, you know, left Yankee Stadium, and the Red Sox played them win for win every every night, and the, the comeback wins, the resiliency. I just have a feeling, and you know, Chris Sale, and you know, and, and you know, Drew Pomerantz is that such a good year? If this team can, you know, I just I don't think this team is going to get swept out of it like last year's team, and I think this team has the ability to win this series in five. I, I would agree with that, Chris. I'm also going to say, for the record, no result in this series will surprise me. I could see both teams yeah, no, sweeping. I, I could see both teams winning in five or anything in between. I really yeah. – no no result will surprise me at all. Uh, you, you, how about an unsung hero? Mine would be this, uh, the totally unexpected. Uh, you brought up Devin Marrero. Not only is he going to make the roster, and I think he will be a defensive specialist, but I, I have a feeling in at least one of the games he'll be in there defensively in the late innings and will probably be forced to hit perhaps. And I have just have a feeling somewhere he may come up with a big hit, and uh, you know, a lot more people around baseball are going to start talking about him. Yeah, I'd say for an unsung hero, I'm going to go with uh, the guy that's done it all year, uh, Christian Vasquez. I think ah, he's just you know, been so important to his team. Had some big hits, and I could see him. I could see him uh, having another big hit in the series. And then I feel like Eduardo Nunez too is an important player to this team in, in terms of the offense getting it rolling early. 
Okay. We're going to uh, – okay, that, that sounds great, Chris. Although while you brought up Vasquez, you're going to make me segue into this. Uh, this goes back to my little catching binky thing. Uh, the last couple of years, it's been Vasquez, Swihart, Vasquez, Swihart. I was always – I was on Team Swihart. I, I really uh, – and then I, re- I was reading your piece this morning. You brought up earlier in our discussion here tonight uh, about, uh, about him and Bregman being best buddies and everything. Uh, your thoughts, I guess it sounds like Swihart's going to play some winter ball, and, uh, you know, he has to make the team now next year i mean he's out of options so they'd have to expose him to waivers if he he doesn't uh, crack the uh the 25 man roster uh to start opening day next year uh so what are your what are your thoughts on his future with the team because vasquez now has is proven he can do it all he's overcome the uh the the surgery his shoulder he's throwing well we know what a great catcher he is defensively and he hit almost 300 this year which Totally unexpected, but now I mean he's he seems to be head and shoulders over over Swihart right now, who's just fighting for his uh, job and his life in the Red Sox organization. Yeah, they they either do two things: they um, either trade him in the off season, which they don't have much value for him right now. As you know, you wouldn't you would have rather traded him last off season, this off season, or two off seasons ago than this off season because his value isn't there right now. To get you know a huge return, obviously, like you could have, but you either trade them in the off season or you feel like you can have them be on that roster as you know first baseman, third baseman, a catcher, maybe a left fielder. And just tell them not to hit the wall. And uh, and do they have yeah, walls in the Dominican league he could run guy. into? I, I don't. Peter Gammons <laughs> had written about that last last off season how he he saw. Blake Swihart is somebody that could, you know, be a guy that could play multiple positions in the future, and that that would probably be his role. And you know, and, and um, the, the, uh, Jason Veritek really liked this kid from a long for a long time. So I don't see them putting him on waivers next year unless he had a really bad spring training. Okay, well, that means then he's going to have to have a really big winner. Sounds like he'll be playing multiple positions in winter ball, and uh, we'll see what happens next spring. But next spring is a long ways off. Right now we're focused on October and the Red Sox and the Astros, and uh, you've got the Red Sox in five, and I, I guess I'll uh, I'll agree with you just because I'm a Red Sox fan. I'd like to see the season extend a couple more weeks for them, so hopefully uh, uh, that'll happen. Uh, Christopher Smith uh, coming to us uh, from Houston, Texas. Uh, thank you so much for joining us here on the Toddcast, Chris, and, and we'll uh, We'll try to catch up with you uh, uh, sometime uh, down the road. Cool, anytime. Thanks for having me. All right, thanks a lot. Again, that's uh, uh, Christopher Smith, a beat writer uh, covering the Red Sox for MassLive.com. You can uh, follow him there and, of course, his Twitter handle, at Smitty on MLB. Follow him and uh, we'll, uh, of course... uh, you know, uh, we'll be plugging him uh, on the uh, here on the Toddcast. Uh, just a reminder here, if you want to get updates when the latest uh, TOST Toddcast is available for your listening pleasure, just follow us on social media. You can become a Facebook fan by searching Time Out for Sports Talk, and our Twitter handle is at TOSTBMC. Until next time again uh, for our, our guest, Christopher Smith, my name is Todd Bloniers. I want to thank you for checking out the TOST Toddcast right here on the Belmont Media Podcast Network.